your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter number 19 this morning, if you would please. Acts chapter 19. Tonight, our revival will continue. And uh, Brother Andrew will be speaking tonight. Tomorrow evening, Dr. Joe Arthur will be here from Georgia. He'll be preaching on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And to make it convenient to everybody who has to work, we'll have uh, dinner served at 6 o'clock every evening here at the church. And uh, so we want to make it easy for you, and we will make it uh, convenient for you. And the only thing I ask is please, after you hear Brother Arthur preach, do not fire Andrew and myself. We need some job security. And uh, so you just please settle down. That uh, You just have to be satisfied with what you had for 30 years. You're not going to get uh, what you're going to get next week. But Brother uh, Arthur's looking forward to being here and being with us. I want to read one verse as a text, and then I will try to read verses prior to that to kind of bring us up to date. But in view of us launching in to a series of meetings, which we'll find out next week whether it'll be revival or not, because just because we have an evangelist coming and we have three or four or five meetings scheduled doesn't mean a thing unless it affects your heart and my heart for the Lord. Amen. I read for you verse 20 of Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 and verse number 20. And the Bible says, So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. That's what our country needs today more than anything else. That would help every home in this auditorium this morning. If the word of God began to be prevalent in our homes, priority in our relationships, and the word of God begins to grow in our hearts and lives, that will be revival. Verse 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, and diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon themselves, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of Jesus, our Lord Jesus, saying, We adjourn you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. But who are ye? Years ago, before I surrendered to preach and got saved, I used to frequently patronize places that some of you still go. To make it sound better, it was called the barbecue place. A friend of mine owned the place. He was a huge man. I mean, huge. Maybe 300 pounds. Every time I tell the story, he gains 50 pounds. And he always served the barbecue and whatever else you might want to drink after that. We were all there one evening. 
a little short, squatty fellow walked in. He is about three foot tall in every direction. Just, you wouldn't think anything about it. He come in and sat down at the bar. And after he'd been there for about an hour, he stood up and said, Who is the meanest man in this place? That disqualified me. And then he said, I'm going to whoop the devil out of him. Big Robert had what is called a flapjack. I don't longer use those in my trade. It's a piece of leather about that wide with a piece of lead sewn inside of it about this long. And when this little short, squatty guy stood up and started surveying all the mean guys in the place, he didn't look at me very long. He just went right on by. And said, stand up. The fight is on. Big Robert reached across the bar with that flapjack filled with lead and hit that fellow in the back of the head. And the floor just vibrated. That little fella turned around and looked at Big Robert and said, you ought not have done that. Have you ever hit the guy with your best shot? And he said, you ought not have done that. These seven renegade Jews was trying to do what Paul was doing in the power of the Spirit of God. And he finds a demon-possessed person. And he adjourns the evil spirits to come out. In Jesus' name, watch down. Whom Paul preaches. We don't know anything about him, but this is what Paul is preaching. Now watch what happens. He hit him with his best shot. And the man, verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overcame them, prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. One man surrendered, surrounded seven. One man whooped the devil out of seven renegade Jews. One man whipped them, wounded them, robbed them, took their clothes off, and ran them down the street buck naked. You think that would have made the news? Now, the moral of this story is you don't whoop a spiritual problem with carnal means. You don't whip a spiritual problem with psychology. You don't heal a spiritual ill with education. And that's what we're trying to do in America. We're trying to fix our problem our way. And if it's not our way, it's the highway. Well, let me ask you something. Now think just a minute. How's it working? You and Daddy happier than you've ever been in your life? Teenage kids just saying, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, thank you, ma'am, we'll do it. You want me to take out the trash? When would you like me to mow the yard? Well, verse number 17, and this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. 
and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which had cell phones, televisions, burnt them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I might have put some more words in that one verse. <laughs> that was my latest translation that I put in there. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you today for the word of God. And Lord, I thank you today that we live in the day that we live. The opportunities are absolutely marvelous. I thank you that everyone is here today that you sent this way and they're here for a reason. And I pray that the word of God would grow and mightily prevail in each of our lives. Lord, I'll thank you for everything that you do because I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I've told you this a long time ago, maybe once or twice, but years ago, a great baseball player surrendered to preach and became one of the greatest evangelists America has ever known. His name was Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday would uh, pull his coat off and throw it for a mile and a half, preach for an hour and a half, and just have a ball. Someone asked Billy Sunday, said, Billy Sunday, why, when you come to town, do you always rub the fur on the cat the wrong way? The evangelist said, all the cat has to do is turn around. See, it's not up for you and I to get mad at God today because he wants us to do something. It's up to you and I to turn around. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, Seek my face. Turn from the wicked ways. Turn from the wicked ways. Turn around. Then, God said, he's here from heaven and heal our land. So I believe with all my heart today, all we have to do in our church as a Christian is, if it's wrong, let's turn around. If it's not working, let's fix it. If it's not good, let's turn from it. And I believe with all of my heart today we can do that. As we examine the text, I notice something very unusual here today. Notice everywhere that this little Jew, Paul, went, he either had revival or revolution. My daddy told me a long time ago, said, son, if you can't get people to do anything, make them mad. They'll do something. It works. Everywhere Paul went, everywhere he went, he made people mad. Take your Bible now, just a minute, and we're going to start at about chapter number 16. And I want to show you Paul's message, if you would please. First of all, here was his message. Look at in your Bible to Acts chapter number 17, and I want to show you Paul's message. Acts chapter number 17. And in verse number 3, notice what he says. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Now, why would that affect anybody? Verse 2. It's where he's preaching. And Paul, as his manner was, went unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Verse 1, the latter part, he went to the synagogue and began to tell a group of Orthodox Jews who do not even believe in Christ, but believe there is a coming Messiah, who knows Isaiah 53, 
that talks about him being wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, but an Orthodox Jew does not believe that Isaiah 53 is speaking about Jesus, but it is speaking about the nation of Israel. And so to a Jew, the one that was bruised was the nation of Israel. It was Jacob. It was God's chosen people. But to a Jew that does not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, here comes a little squint-eyed Jew that's been saved and walks in the synagogue and begins to allege and to prove by the Scriptures that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That might make somebody a little angry. Notice, if you would please, his message was... Notice verse 18 of the same chapter. In verse 18, the Bible said, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Now they call me that every once in a while. What's he up there babbling about? He seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods. Because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Notice, if you would please, in verse 31, everywhere he went, he preached the same thing. And everywhere he went, they either had revival or revolution. Notice verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Chapter 18, verse 28. His message, verse 28. Watch this. And he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. In the synagogue, where they did not believe in Christ. In the synagogue, where they did not believe in the Trinity. In the synagogue, where they do not believe the Trinity. So evidently, Judaism is nothing more than a cult. Amen. Because a cult does not believe in the God's Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Ghost. And here Paul is in their place of worship every Saturday telling them there's no such thing. What you have here is the man Christ came, suffered, died. He had to do that to be the Messiah. And God proved it by the resurrection of the dead. Now, what if somebody came in here this morning and started preaching to you that Jesus was a, was a heretic? Sure you would. That's what they did to Paul. Everywhere he went, notice, if you would please, he goes to Philippi, chapter 16. He goes down by the riverside. And there by the riverside, he meets a lady by the name of Lydia, a seller of purple. And he, they're there at a prayer meeting, and Paul leads Lydia to Jesus Christ. Notice, if you would please, a damsel, demon-possessed girl in the marketplace. And Paul preaches to her the, the, the Lord Jesus that we are talking about. And they incarcerate him and throw him in prison, if you would please. And throw him into the inner prison, puts his feet in stock, he and Silas. And at midnight, you know what they did? They sang praises unto God. And everywhere he went, he either caused revival or revolution. Acts chapter number 17, notice if you would please, in verses 1 through 5. Now, when they had passed through Amphi Amphibius and Amphilionia and, and came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews, looked like that God kind of stay away from that synagogue, doesn't it? And Paul, as his manner was, went unto them and three days, reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening a legend, 
that Christ must needs to have suffered. What happened? They run him out of town. Verse 5, But the Jews which believed not move with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows. These are the Baptist folks of that day. Of a baser sort. They were from Tennessee. That's where I'm from. And gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar. Everywhere he went, some believed, some got right, some got wrong. Everywhere he went. You could also see it in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, verse 1. In Berea in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 13. In Athens, chapter 17, verse 15 through 17. In Corinth, in the synagogue again, Acts 18. And we come to a place, chapter 19, a place called Ephesus. Ephesus. In your Bible, you have a book by that title, Ephesians. What kind of place was Ephesus? Probably reminds you much of America. Verse 13, it was filled with vagabonds, homeless, shiftless, welfare folk, bums who wouldn't work. It was filled with magic. Speaks of spells and so forth and so on. A superstitious place. A place that housed the great goddess Diana, the goddess of fertility propagated the cause with temple prostitutes. They probably up every morning looked at their horoscope. Believing that if they was born in a certain month, a star would guide them through their life. Well, if that's working, my star is on is retired. And so Paul, this troublemaking, little squint-eyed, short Jewish fellow, comes into town, not performing magic, but performing miracles. Difference. Magic takes props. Miracles takes God. Magic, the slight of the eye, the slight of the hand. Miracles, faith in God. Magic, I can fix this problem myself. Miracle, thank God, needs to handle this. Are you listening to me now? America is running on props what we can do, what we can handle. And she's fallen apart at the seams. When God stands there saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, what we need today, if there's somebody to come into town with miracles and not a bunch of magic. Notice verse 1, verse 11. And God wrought, watch this, and God wrought special, special, out of the ordinary, not just common miracle, but special miracles. Somebody tell me, who wrought them? Don't get that mixed up. Because on your Christian television, it ain't God doing it. It's the man that needs the offering. Keep him cards and letters coming, friends. Benny Hinn might turn into a rooster one of these days. Keep it coming. God wrought special miracles 
by the hands of Paul. Special miracles? Watch this. So that from Paul's body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons. Anything that the great apostle Paul had touched, God so it empowered him with the power of Almighty God and with the miracle working power of God that anything Paul touched, they could take that and somebody else could touch it and they would be healed. Man, that's special, wonderful, marvelous, great, earth-shaking, eye-opening, huh? heel-clicking kind of God-working miracle. Do you believe in miracles? Could I ask you again? Do you believe in miracles? It was a miracle today that God forgave me all of my sins. It was a miracle today that God just reached into me and pulled all the hell out and just filled my old soul full of heaven. Uh, it was a miracle today that uh, He took my thirst away and replaced it with brand new desires and Brand new places to go. And you say, Preacher, uh, that's not a miracle. Yes, it was. Yes, sir, it was. And God is not out of miracles, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to me now. Special miracles. You know what we need in this place? is a special move of God. What we need to do, what we need today is the God of this universe just reach down and take an egg and just shake hell out of it. Amen. I'll tell you something. It takes somebody big as God to shake old Robert. Stand up, Robert. But that thing is saved from top to bottom. I remember when he got saved. Amen. That took a miracle, didn't it, Robert? Yes, sir, it did. Yes, sir. It changed him. Changed his toenails, even. Yes, sir. Amen. What we need in this place, not some of the ordinary. What we need in this place is not something last week. What we, do, what we don't need around here is some more last week's gravy. What we don't need around here is, boy, I remember what God did last. No, what we need is what God's doing right now. We need God to do something now. We got broken hearts now. We got broken homes now. We got hurt now. We have sorrow now. We have hurt heartaches and we have tears now. Oh, God, please come and do it again. That's what we need. Somebody said, you're yelling. Yes, and I want to do it again. Now watch this. If you don't get anything out of this, you watch this. I'm going to take this text in a minute. And I'm going to spend about, look like three minutes. <laughs> A special miracle. A special miracle. And get that guy to shut up on Sunday morning. <laughs> Watch it. As I was reading this, and I, I read several years ago, over and over and over again. And as I read about these seven renegade Jews running down the street with no clothes on, and that one guy behind them, man, in hot pursuit, smoking the bandit. I mean, that one guy's after them seven guys. He done whooped them beat them and robbed them and took all the clothes off and run them down Main Street. And this thought appeared to me. We Christians need to realize our utter dependence on God. You can sing him songs, I'll handle this job all by myself. And if you just look around you, you'll see what that got you. We need to realize, like these guys running down the road with no drawers on, we must have goofed somewhere. They weren't on the way to Walmart to get a new chain. They was running from that guy that was after in hot pursuit. They were running from the devil. 
And that's exactly what he'll do for us. He'll rob us of our testimony. He'll rob us of our home. He'll strip us of everything that's good, godly, righteous, and healthy. And he'll leave us stripped, naked, and dying in the gutters of this world if we try to face him in the flesh. You trust flesh, it's very dangerous. Verse number 16, and the man whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. I don't know much about fighting, really. I've been a lover all my life. But how does one guy jump on seven? You tell me how one guy can surround seven guys. I have a friend, he's in heaven today, Brother Joe Osmus, I don't know if you know him or not. I was preaching revival meeting and he came to the revival meeting one night and he had hair down to here and hair down to here. Red, and he'd just look at you like you wanted to look a hole right through. I'd preach to him and he came back the next night and he said, I didn't think you'd have enough nerve to do that again. Thursday night, we closed the meeting out. We was going to bow our heads and pray. And this big ugly sucker stood up right in the middle of service and said, Wait a minute! I thought that's when I was getting whooped right now. It wouldn't have took seven of him to do me in. And that guy was so big and mean when he stood up and said, Wait a minute! Everybody waited a minute! And I said, yes, what? He said, I want to get right with God. He walked down the aisle, everybody watching. Filled the altar. Dr. A.W. Watson was as scared as I was. And everybody watched Joe Osmus, that big, burly-looking dude, get right with God. He stood up, and the next day he came, he's shaven, his hair cut, looked like a wimp. Rolled in seminary, graduated, started the Bethel Baptist Church over in Seagullville or someplace in that area. I asked him one time, I said, Joe, just for the record, what is the most men you ever whooped at one time, he said seven. I said, how old are you, Joe? You and I need to realize something that we've forgotten. Without him... We can do. I can do all things. But thanks be unto God who give us us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you think maybe the average Christian reminds you of the seven renegade Jews whipped, beaten, running from the devil, defeated, divided, deceived, and all along. God has given them the power to be victorious through Jesus Christ, which strengthens me. I speak of the contemporary church, not necessarily of those who has a, a uh, praise band, but those in today's economy. 
The church as you and I know it today has no power and is powerless, if you please, to help hurting families. Contemporary churches, you and I know it today, are absolutely powerless to hinder hellish fantasies. Have you seen some of the commercials on television? You ought to see all the commercials on my cell phone. They're trying to sell me stuff I don't need. And you guys that way? They try to tell me stuff I can't even spell, like Viagra and all that kind of stuff. First time I saw that, I went out and seen if one of my horses was sick. I was going to see if they needed something. We're living in a dirty, filthy-minded, stinking society, and there's no do's and there's no don'ts, and we, as Christians, have now tucked our head in the sands of this old world and we're just letting them do and say anything they want and we don't dare say anything but because it's not politically correct. Well, excuse me a minute while I puke. The church today as we know it and Christians today as we know it are absolutely powerless to storm the spiritual strongholds and Christian's life, such as addiction. I read this week at 68%, listen to me, 68% of Christian men are hooked on pornography. 68% of pastors in America are hooked on pornography. And most of the men who are hooked on pornography are age 14 to 18. You shouldn't have said that, preacher. The devil is not dead. And once you get hooked on that junk, it affects you neurologically. Hmm? It ain't a matter of just, well, I started, now I'll quit. No, you're hooked. Sin is fun, but sin is fatal. The wages of sin is what? That sounds kind of fatal to me. When lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth what? Oh, it's fun. But it's fatal. Well, I thought we was having fun. We must realize our utter dependence upon God, and we in America have forgotten that. We don't ask him about our purchases. We don't ask him about our priorities. Thusly, we don't have his provision. Would it be all right if I would just... Shut up and give the invitation. Notice, if you would, please. We Christians not only must realize our utter dependence on God, we Christians have got to get concerned about what's going on around us. Verse 17, watch this. You and I watch on the news every evening things more vile and seven renegade Jews running down the street with no clothes on. You can't watch the news if you don't hear at least three or four murders, four or five drive-by shootings, rape, pillage. We watch stuff 
that ought to scare us to death. Huh? If your dog barks, you ought to shoot. Not your dog. What are you barking at? You never know who's going to try to rob you or rape you. But we just float around like this. Well, it didn't happen to us, so I guess it's going to be all right. Notice what happened. Look at verse 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. If you're an American, you ought to be scared to death what's going on. We no longer have three branches of government. We got one branch of government. We don't call him a king, but he does what a king wants to. Fear fell on them all. I must close, but some fear is healthy. Hmm? I don't go bear hunting with a switch. I want the biggest, noisiest gun in the world if I'm going to go bear hunting. I want it to kick so hard that I'll turn it around and tell the bear to shoot at me. Because that would hurt less getting shot with the thing than getting kicked with it. Hmm? I would be absolutely petrified to smoke a marijuana cigarette. I was president of one of the roughest gangs in Southern California when I was about your age. In fact, it was a kindergarten game. We all played kindergarten together. But I'd be scared to death to sniff, to smoke, and to shoot some of the stuff that people are today. And a lot of things I'm not afraid of. Ginger is not one of them. But we ought to be scared stiff at what the devil's doing to our families to our kids, to our great country, to our military, to our police force. We ought to be scared to death. We ought to invite God once again to get involved in this great country. And it could start right here this week. But I can't get you folk to come. You don't need it. You won't be here tonight. You won't be here tonight. You can handle the devil's near life all by yourself until one of them gets a hold of you. Until you visit your kid down at the jailhouse. Until you call a preacher and say, Hey, my kids made a mistake. Would you go down to the jailhouse and sin? Then you might call. Then you might come. But we Christians need to get concerned. I don't have time, but we Christians need to confess our sins. Verse 18, the Bible said when this thing happened and they saw the power of God in their place, that many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. My Bible said, if you cover your sins, you will not prosper. But if you confess, you will have mercy. What we need in our country and our church is mercy. We don't need justice. Man, we're guilty. Amen. What we need is mercy. The Bible said, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. 
If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Well, since we've all sinned and since we're all sinners, let me ask you a good question. What are you going to do with your sin? Are you going to walk up to Jesus Christ yourself and say, look at what I've done? How do you get rid of your sins? You go to God and you confess them. And the Bible said he will faithfully cleanse you of all your sins. Now, I got to close. And I got to close. Is my baby back there? Would you trust Grandpa to hold our baby? <laughs> Preached her right to sleep. Now, this is my recent granddaughter. Don't you think she's probably? prettiest baby I got in my hand right now. <laughs> Boy, she smells good. I don't know if you know notice that step there. Andrew, would you want to walk with me? This is the first time I've helped my grandbaby because her other grandparents was here, and I wanted to give them time with the grandbaby. Now, this baby here and I are related by blood. Nothing in this world can change that, and nothing outside of this world can change that. She is my grandchild sleeping in church like the rest of my family. <laughs> Relationship. To as many as receive him gave them the power to become the sons of God. Relationship. If you've never come to Christ, did you... You want some of that? <laughs> Bailey, I did. You did that right. You just did it in the wrong direction. <laughs> she is my grandchild by relationship. She and I have perfect fellowship until she barfed on me. Now they call me Brother Slick. <laughs> it was this hand. <laughs> Nothing in this world will ever play havoc or interrupt mine and Bailey's relationship. But when she while ago, it did something to our fellowship. Because that stuff don't smell good. If you don't believe me, wouldn't you like to? But now Mama has got the means back there by which that little sweet-smelling wipe wipe Bailey all up. And pretty soon Bailey will be smelling as good as ever. I'll go get Bailey. Me and Bailey's fellowship is fixed. Are you listening to me? To God, your and my sin is so much more detestable than anything that ever came out of either orifice of that child. 
God says, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. And the truth's not in you. And sin will hinder fellowship. Sin will never hinder relationship. Sin will hinder fellowship. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful to change our diety, sprinkle the good-smelling powder on us, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Thusly, fellowship is restored. Sin must be dealt with. And only God can deal with sin. Because David said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy tender mercies. My iniquities are ever before me, David said. Like an old hound dog on the trail of its prey. David said, I can't go to sleep at night because my sin is ever before me. He said, create in me a new heart and renew in me a right spirit. Have mercy on me, O God. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Sin is horrible. Sin separates husbands and wives, families and family members, saints and the Savior. Your iniquities, the Bible says, it's hidden in the face of God from you. Oh, today. Today best thing you could do is realize you're completely dependent on God. Realize that we need to get concerned. Confess our sins and separate ourselves from sin. I read about a husband and wife 47, 45 years old at night just driving around, gotten bored. They did get bored just driving around at night. Coincidentally, there was a third of a stick of dynamite in the back seat. So they were going to have fun. Stuck a fuse in that one-third of a stick of dynamite, lit the fuse, and was going to throw it out the window. They just forgot the window wasn't down. They both ended up in the hospital almost dead. I don't know what you got, but I'd pitch my sins out the window and let them go. Some of us might have to end the dating relationship because it don't honor God not leading in the right direction. Some of us need to just end it. Some of us need to go home and have some channels on the television turned off. Some of us need to just break up any ability of being alone with the wrong person at the wrong time. Some of us need to change friendships. All of God's people said. How many times have I closed? <laughs> when I just first got saved, I've done this. is the last little demo I'll tell you. First got saved. I had a business, and I gave it away and took off to seminary, gave it to my partner, and just uh, took off to school with four little old kids. And 
An old car that wasn't worth a dime never got any place any time with clean hands. I had to work on the dumb thing every while. Anyway. Missionary came to our church and said, there's an Indian tribe down in deep Mexico that's only seen two white men. And we're looking for a church to commit to, commit to evangelizing that Indian tribe. And our church, Central Park Baptist Church, uh, voted to try to evangelize that Indian tribe. I was in seminary going every day, working every day. They picked five men to go to Mexico. We got on a plane, we flew to Mexico City, got on a bus, drove from Mexico City to Lapa. To Lapa, we got on a little old bitty airplane. I'm in Cuernavaca. Got a little bitty airplane and flew from Tilapa, I mean Cuernavaca, to Tilapa. And when we saw the landing strip, it was up the side of a mountain. It wasn't level. You I did not know that we had to ride horses about 30-some miles to the village. And we got there, and there's having a go-go party. You remember when they had the go-go girls years and years and years ago? I, I don't remember that. I read about it today just this past week. The hotel had running water. You got a bucket run down the creek and brought it back up to the house. I mean, it was, it, it was something else. And we all five in that one little old shabby room overlooked the center of the city, and it was stacked with people, man. And they had rock and roll bands out there, and they ain't no telling what they were doing. We didn't go check it out. But I'm talking music and everything. Next day, getting ready to go up to the Indian village, and here's some Mexican folk come, and they got several horses. And... Uh, so I'm a country boy, and I decided, shoot, I'll let all these silly slickers have the pick of the horses. Don't ever do that. Grab the first one you can. Because the time they got to me, they'd run out of saddles. When they got to me, the horse hadn't been ridden very many times. I got what was left. It was a pack saddle. No stirrups. Just wood a horn, no bridle. I had to make the bridle out of out of string. Don't ever wait. Always take the best horse. Don't do that. Now I rode that thing all day back in the village. But my point is, there's a man there has a horse that is a good horse. He has a handle on him. Of course, do anything you want to do. Look like a brand new saddle, brand new bridle. And the preacher got that horse. I noticed. Thirty-some miles in, thirty-some miles out. That Mexican man was always attentive to that horse. Brother Williams got off the horse. The Mexican man that's taking care of that horse. Nobody's taking care of my horse. I hit that thing in the head with a Pepsi bottle. I thought I could kill him. It did get his attention. He did stop. 30-some miles in, 30-some miles out, we got back. And I said to Brother McCoy, Brother McCoy, who's the man that kept taking care of the preacher? Lyle McCoy said he wasn't taking care of the preacher. He'd taken care of his horse. I said, that was his horse? That was his horse, he said. He walked 70 miles and let the preacher ride his horse. Because you remember that old man that walked down the aisle that night and got saved? That was his daddy. And all them little kids that walked down the aisle and got saved, those were his kids. He walked 70 miles so that his family could hear the gospel. How far would you walk? 
You say, well, our church is concerned if our church is the most concerned church in the Metroplex. The Metroplex is going to die and go to hell. So the Bible said, the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. That's what we want this week. But you'll have to be here to allow it to happen in your life. You say, I got plans. You need to cast them out the window. Say, I got something else to do. You need to change that. Mm-hmm. You can't whip your spiritual problem with carnal man.